Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Jeff Madoff, founder and CEO of Madoff Productions. And if you want to learn how to produce world-class relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, if you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I am chatting with Jeffrey Madoff. Jeff is an award-winning director and the founder and CEO of Madoff Productions. Madoff is also a producer, photographer, writer, and professor at Parsons School for Design. His film and video work include commercials, brand and content, episodic series, music videos, and documentaries for clients such as Victoria's Secret, Ralph Lauren, Tiffany, American Academy of Dramatic Arts, and Harvard School for Public Health, just to name a few. You may have recognized maybe one or two of those names uh, when I was reading them off, and guys, it's going to be amazing conversation. I can't wait to get into some of the things that we're going to chat about with Jeff. But first, really quickly, if you are a seven-figure entrepreneur and you know the impact that a podcast could have on your business, the, the credibility, the authority, the network building with the amazing guests that you could bring on your show, the book deals, the stages, all that kind of stuff, but you just don't have the time or the team or resources to dedicate to figure it all out, then have me and my team do that for you. Head over to travischapel.com slash make my podcast. There's a quick application there and then we'll jump on a phone call to see if we'd be a good fit to build out a show for you. That way you can focus on what you're good at, which is servicing your clients. And we can focus on what we're good at, which is building world-class podcasts. That's travischapel.com slash make my podcast. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me on the show. 
Well, thank you for having me on, Travis. Yes, sir. So I want to take it back a little bit, build some context here for those listening, and let's chat about your story. Let's take it back to 12, 13-year-old junior high, Jeff Madoff. What was life for you like back then? What was, you know, parents and, uh, and uh, schooling and sports, academics, all that good stuff? Well, I went through public schooling from kindergarten through high school in Akron, Ohio, which is where I grew up. It was a great place to grow up and leave. Uh, my, <laughs> and by well, the way, well said, well said, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I still go back there. I have many dear friends from my early childhood. My parents were great and had a tremendous impact on my life, mostly in a positive way, I would say, and they are no longer with us, but Akron was really good. I was blackballed from the National Honor Society so that's a scarlet letter that I carry because I had the grades, but there were a couple of teachers that didn't approve of my behavior. Hmm. <laughs> and uh, I was on the wrestling team in high school and in college. And I went to college at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, which is a fabulous, fabulous place. And it looks like a college campus should look. You know, it's got lakes behind the student union. And I say lakes, there's more than one lake that are around campus. And it's just an idyllic setting. And Madison was a great school. And as I mentioned, I was on the wrestling team, but eventually quit because I realized I was not going to become a professional wrestler and uh, wanted to do other things. And I graduated with honors, the honors that I had been blackballed from in high school. Everything that goes around comes around, as they say. Right, nice. And I had a double major in philosophy and psychology. So combining that with the wrestling, it really made a uh, good combination for a life in business. That makes an interesting college experience, I'm sure. Right? I mean, philosophy, psychology, while also wrestling, there's so many different groups of people to hang out with, I guess, right? Can't say I hung out all that much with the wrestlers. Uh, okay. But... but uh, psychology, philosophy, and just campus life in general, you know, because most of us, if we go to college, college is the first time we have an experience of living on our own. And it's not just the high points of living on your own, like being up all night and doing what you want. It's also doing laundry <laughs> and uh, having to balance your checkbook and uh, all the <laughs> practical day-to-day -day things in life too, which are important lessons. Yeah. Have you taken a lot of the study of philosophies and psychology into the rest of your career? Well, yes. Yes, I have. And also wrestling, but not in the way you might think. You know, I believe that everything we do, everything we read, everything we experience all informs who we are and how we approach what we do. So it's not like I have my philosopher's hat on, but I'm always thinking in philosophical terms or psychological terms. Yeah. And even with the wrestling, one of the key lessons was, you know, when you meet resistance, what do you do? Do you yeah. fight against the resistance or do you pivot quick and do another move? And so you always have to be thinking a few steps ahead in order to be effective and good at it. Yeah, it's so, an extremely fast game of chess. You're right. And uh, the thing about chess is that you don't end up with a lump on your head or a bloody nose. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess you could, but you usually don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be as one serious chess game. That's sure. <laughs> yes. Um, so talk to me about some of your favorite philosophical authors, just as a quick tangent here. My dissertation was on an analysis and synthesis of the philosophies of Hegel and Kierkegaard. Hmm. So this was very heavy reading. And actually, my wife found a few years ago, she found my thesis paper. 
And, you know, I had gotten an A on the thesis and very good comments from the professor. I read it and it made absolutely no sense to me. (laughs) So, uh, you know, whatever has happened during those years, I was in a certain headspace then and could really apply myself. And looking back at it, it was like, who wrote this? I wrote this? (laughs) Yeah. So uh, it was it was interesting. But the great thing about a degree in philosophy is it exposes you not only to ideas that you wouldn't be exposed to otherwise, but you also have to think about how you support the ideas. What are your beliefs? And that's why it mm. also philosophy and psychology used to be cross-listed. They were the same discipline until 1932. And Interesting. That, I didn't know that. Yeah. And in 1932, Sigmund Freud wrote the first entry on psychology in the Encyclopedia Britannica, the 11th edition. And from then on, the two disciplines were separated. So it's kind of an interesting bit of cocktail party knowledge there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. No, for sure. Was the uh, degree or the studying that you did as much influence? Like if you were to say that you leaned toward one or the other, for like psychology versus philosophy, which one would you say you enjoyed more or spent more time on? You know, I don't think that it was a one or the other because just like they used to be cross-listed, they're kind of hand in glove. And what has always fascinated me, which is a field that has happened long since after I was out of college, is behavioral economics. And the field of behavioral economics, which takes in both, but the main crux of it is, why do you believe what you believe? So I find that really fascinating. And again, it's hand-in-glove philosophy and psychology. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent Fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
where, if you don't mind going into this real quick, where did you end up on the, what did you believe portion of that? Well, that's being defined on a daily basis. Hmm. <laughs> I ask myself each morning when I get up, what do I believe today? You know, I think that what I look for is actually the way before we even went on the air, what you were talking to me about, you wanted to get some context which is such a great idea because we live in a society where there often is no context mm. and trivial things and significant things are often weighted and promoted in the same way. Yeah. And I think that context is tremendously important. And there's a great book written by George S. Tro. It's called The Context of No Context. And it's really brilliant. And so I think thinking contextually, that's something that I believe being able to support with critical thinking why you believe what you believe. And we all have what are called our heuristics, which is how your brain processes information and our biases, which is the world that we view, the lens that we view the world through. So all of those things kind of work together and being conscious of those various elements that set the context for how we process ideas has just always been really interesting to me. So that has affected me. And I've continued to read in both of those areas long since graduating from college. And you said the book was called Within the Context of No Context? That's right. George S. Tro, T-R-O-W, The Context of No Context. Yeah, definitely going to check that one out. Okay, so that was just a little bit of a tangent there that I wanted to touch on. Let's go get back into the story here. Okay, so you are in college, you're wrestling, you're studying psychology, studying philosophy. What were you planning on doing with all of that while you were still in college? What were you planning on doing with the rest of your life? I was hoping to become a sage. And uh, <laughs> yes, I think that's about the only job that a philosophy degree to prepares you for. Yeah, yeah. I hear that's like, what, top 10 highest paid jobs? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, But all the wisdom factories were laying people off when I graduated. <laughs> right. You know, I honestly <laughs> had no master plan going on. It wasn't like I had a clear idea of what I was going to do. So I've always been seduced by ideas and an opportunity that seems cool. And so I honestly didn't know. I had a lot of different jobs from the time I was doing the traditional kid jobs of, I had a newspaper route. So that gives you an idea of how far back I go. And, you know, I was a paper boy, but I also had a theater in my basement where I would design and print up posters, then show movies. And I was able to uh, take the bus downtown and buy candy cheaper and my dad used to buy these big tins of popcorn. So I would take lunch bags and put the popcorn in the lunch bags. He always wondered, how do we go through so much popcorn? Jeez, yeah. <laughs> dad, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the 20 kids who were mystery. in the basement. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but the thing about it is when I think back on that, and it's, you know, you're unearthing some thoughts here that I haven't really talked about was that I would get these films and the films, you know, they were eight millimeter and they were silent. So I took my sister's record player and I would find music and sound effects that would go along with the movie. Hmm. And so years later, when I transitioned into doing film and video, some of those same techniques of finding a soundtrack that would work with a particular film or, or sound effects or whatever, 
It's like, wow, I was doing this when I was like 11. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. So coming out of college then, what was the first thing that you started doing? Well, I was working in a little boutique and it sold very cool kind of hip clothing. I was the buyer for it. It was a small store. The guy that owned it wasn't much older than I. And Madison, because it's a major campus, there would always be different rock groups coming through. And and so our store was a destination if you wanted to find like unique, cool stuff. So I would come into New York and always try to find resources that you didn't find any place else. So that discovery process was really fun. One day, a friend of mine called, dear friend Kenny Meerman, who I don't remember not knowing him. His mother and my mother grew up together. And he actually was in Arizona. He had finished college a year before me. And he said, can you think of a gig that would earn more than bank interest, saved up some money? I said, well, I see the clothes we're selling and I could always draw. I'll start a clothing company. He said, okay. And he sent me the money. And Mm -hmm. at that time, it was more money than I had ever had at one time. And that was about (laughs) $1,500. And I was clueless. So what I did is I sketched things that I liked because I've always thought, well, if I like this, there must be other people that would like this too. So I was kind of my own consumer in a way. If I thought it was cool, I would, I thought other people might think it was cool. Mm -hmm. I got a shirt, a shirt that I had bought a while ago that I liked, and I literally cut it up along where it was stitched so I could see how does a shirt go together? I didn't have any idea how a shirt went together. And I was so ignorant not stupid, but ignorant. And the difference is stupid's forever. Ignorant, <laughs> ignorant you can learn, right? right. And uh, I remember going into a store and I would see fabric on the bolt and thought that that was wholesale because it hadn't been made into anything yet. So I learned quickly and established what we call in business proof of concept. I had some of the women who did alterations for the store sew together a bunch of shirts And they sold out in a day, like, you know, 18 of them sold out in a day. And we were just a little store. That was amazing. Yeah. And I eventually packed up my sample case, strapped them on the back of my motorcycle and drove to Chicago, went to 18 boutiques. And I think I sold 15 of them. And then the next big obstacle was, well, how are you going to make them? (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, you know, it was a process of discovery along the way. Within within two years, I was chosen one of the top 10 young designers in the United States. Wow. It may sound impressive, but I think there were only eight of us, so it wasn't hard to be in the top 10. <laughs> Got it, yeah. And uh, my business was like doubling every four months. And I had an office in New York. I had an office in Los Angeles. I had salesmen across the country, about 110, 120 people working for me. And I was 23 and really learning as I was going. And back then, startups by young people was not a common thing as it is now. Mm, Yeah. You know, it was really interesting. And I learned a tremendous amount. As, As I said earlier, I think everything you do informs everything else you do. And I learned so much going through that process that has applied to everything else I've done since. So how long did you end up having or running that business? I think it was about four and a half years. And then I wanted to move to New York. Got it. My factory, which is where my main office was, I'm sure you've heard of it, Footville, Wisconsin. (laughs) And uh, 
you know, as I went to New York, I used to go on buying trips for the store. And as I went to New York, you know, at first it was kind of intimidating. I'd never been on subways before. I didn't really know the city. It was funny when I was going to leave Madison and move to New York, friends said to me, let me take a step back. My backer, I had to get a financial backer because I was growing so quickly. Hmm. And the man was a terrific man who was a lawyer and he owned five banks in Wisconsin. The reason he invested in me, aside from I was kind of an interesting novelty to him, is that I provided employment for so many people and they all banked at his bank. Uh, Interesting. When when I wanted to move to New York, he said, Jeff, you know why I invested in your company. And if you move the base of the business out of Wisconsin, I'm not going to continue to back you. And I understood that. But I felt like money comes and goes, but time only goes. Hmm. And I was aware of that, I think, pretty profoundly because of my dad. And I made the decision to move. And friends said to me, wow, so do you have a a job lined up in New York? I said, no. Do you know any people there? I said, not really. Do you have a place to live yet? I said, no. And they said, well, aren't you afraid of what's going to happen when you move? I said, no. You know, I'm actually more afraid of what would happen if I stay. Yeah. I wanted a different path in life and to do something else. So I'd saved up enough that I could travel which I did for about a year. Then I actually started another clothing company because I did have a good reputation in that world and sold that company, which led to me then transitioning into doing film. So many things here, man. First off, the recognition at such a young age that time only goes and money comes and goes. That's a lesson that most people just never even, will never learn. And they value the money too much and, and not the time enough. And, and so that, you know, one thing and then moving without knowing how everything was going to work out, but just knowing that, you know what, I, I want this different path for my life and I'm not sure exactly how it's going to happen, but I know that the only way to really find out is to kind of take action in that direction and then have things work out to the degree uh, which they've worked out to this point is an incredible thing. So talk to me then, about the beginning of the film business. What was it that drew you into that industry when you were looking to get back into starting another business? Well, I always loved film. And uh, I loved going to the movies. I loved movie soundtracks. Remember when I was a kid, I had that theater in my basement. (laughs) So I had the opportunity. I met some people who were starting a video business. I met them, which led to me meeting someone else called Dennis Hopper, if you're familiar with Dennis. I actually am not, no. So Dennis Hopper was an iconic actor. He died maybe four or five years ago. Okay. He was in Apocalypse Now. He was in Rebel Without a Cause with James Dean. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, quite a career. He was doing a film based on a book by William Burroughs. William Burroughs wrote Naked Lunch, a book called Junkie, which this film was going to be about. And Burroughs was like one of the authors of what's called the Beat Generation. He was quite a towering figure in that world, and he was the one of the heirs to the Burroughs business machine fortune, hmm. but he had no interest in it at all. He was a much, much older guy, interesting character. So when I met these people, and it's funny, here's how things tie together. I hadn't thought about this in a long time. Hmm. One of the places I bought fabric from, the owner of the company was a really nice man, and he said to me one day, Jeff, do you know anything about the film business? I said, well, I go to movies, but not really. And he said, well, look, you've got a good head on your shoulders. You know business. My son's your age. And he's getting involved with these people. 
and I'm just afraid he's not getting very good information. Would you mind meeting him? So I'd be happy to. And that's what then took me into that circle of people. That is a perfect time just to kind of stop and highlight the importance of relationships and constantly being willing to put goodwill out into the universe without really knowing how or when or if it's even going to come back to you just to be helpful to other people. I mean, that's that's a perfect example of what we like to talk about here on the show. We like to highlight with people's stories is how powerful it is to do those types of things. But anyway, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, you're right. You're right. In prepping for your show... I have it actually on my computer, and since we're not using the cameras, I will mention this. You had one of your questions, and I want to, do you believe that what you know or who you know is more important? Yes. Why? That's, that's the staple question of the show. And to me, what you know is way more important than who you know. Okay. Because what you know is a measure of your intelligence, and who you know is just a measure of who you know, <laughs> and what circles you may travel in. But if what you know is valuable, you can get to the who's relatively easily. Hmm. You know, and one of the essentials parts of connecting with people and networking is that you want to have something valuable to offer. I can't tell you how many times people have said to me, oh, I heard you speak or whatever. I'd really like to pick your brain. <laughs> Thinking, that's like a vulture does. This, yeah, that you know, sounds right? like a fun activity. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me pick your brain. <laughs> really good uh, activity. So I think that it's so important going back to the, it's what you know, that you have something of value to offer to someone who you would like to meet. And what that means is, and I can give you actually an example that just happened. I was with a woman, Anjali Lorber Pratt. She was a para-Olympian. And uh, she had transverse myelitis when she was two and a half months old. So she grew up physically impaired. But to her, that's just what life was because she didn't know life any differently. Yeah. And she became an, a Paralympian and won a gold medal, two gold medals. Wow. So uh, one of my students this past semester is doing adaptive design of clothing. And it's for people who have physical impairments. So I said to Anjali, could I introduce you to uh, Emily? And I told her what she was doing, sent her a video, and she said, God, I'd love to meet her. So I put those two people together because this student, very smart, very talented, very empathic, a wonderful person. And this woman, Anjali, did not let what other people would consider to be limits stop her. She was told by teachers when she was younger that she would not amount to anything. She is a professor at Vanderbilt. And uh, so she defied all expectations, all prognostications. Yeah. And it was because of her fuel, which was wanting to prove these people wrong, that she was going to lead a full life. But I thought, wow, this really great student I had knows something about adaptive design. Here is a person who is an incredible force. Maybe there could be some magic if I was able to put them together. So in that case, it was who I knew but it was what I knew about each one of them and what Emily knew about adaptive design and what Anjali knew about the needs of people who are physically impaired that I could put those who's together and maybe something will happen, maybe it won't, but they'll certainly both be better off for meeting each other. Yeah, and, and just doing that activity, but what you just said about can, being a connector of people is a really good practice to keep in mind. I think so. I mean, I think so. I have certainly 
been on the receiving end of that. And I'm also very much on the giving end of that. Yeah. And uh, the way that I sort of sum it up, because some people are not appreciative, they have, they aren't grateful, but you can't do things at, with the expectation of somebody appreciating it. Exactly. That you know? is the key right there. Yep. Right. That's right. So, you know, you can open your arms to embrace and then you might get punched in the gut. <laughs> but to me, of course, right now, social distancing, you can't do either. But, uh, <laughs> True. But, you know, to me, I'm willing to take that risk. Yeah. Because that embrace feels so good when it happens. Yeah. And I feel like even if there's no direct reward from that one thing that you did, I feel like, you know, the law of reciprocity always has your back. You know, there's some, something good is going to come back on you at some point in the future because you were always willing to give without expecting anybody else to give back to you. Well, I hope so. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, you know, I don't, I don't know. You know, I mean, I just think that when you do that, you should not have an expectation because there's a pretty good chance that you'll just be disappointed. Yeah. And, definitely. uh, but if you realize, well, this is who I am, this is what I want to do and am willing to do. And if it works out great, you know, you just do it. I don't not do things because I'm like that. I don't not do things because it's putting myself out or because I don't think they'll appreciate it. I think you do what you do. And, pursue those things that might be helpful to people. Well, Jeff, this has been such an awesome conversation. Sorry to have to cut it off. Maybe just have to schedule a part two to this. I feel like I've been finding myself saying that a lot more. Maybe I should just do longer interviews. <laughs> but uh, um, I appreciate you for coming on. I do want to make sure that we chat a little bit about your book before we sign off here. I know that you just wrote a book very recently. And so I kind of would like to hear what the top takeaways that you would like people to take away from that. And then where can they find a copy of Creative Careers? So thank you. The book is called Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas, which is the same name as my class. And like my class, I put together a lot of amazing people. There's like over 50 people who you hear things from throughout the book, along with my own narrative that ties it all together. And the purpose of the book is to entertain, inspire, inform, and educate the person. So whether you're graduating from school and you're trying to choose a direction, whether you are looking to change directions in your life, or whether you've reached a point where you're willing and desirous of starting a new business, in all of those things, you'll find really useful material and practical advice. And then I guess going back to my major, a lot of philosophical advice about the kinds of questions that you need to ask yourself and how do you prepare yourself emotionally for what you're going to be confronting as you go out there and try to forge your way. When people say to me, who is the book for? I say it's for everybody you've ever met in your life or ever will meet. Perfect. <laughs> that makes it really easy. So if you're listening to this right there, there now, you go. <laughs> yeah, go pick up a copy of Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas. I promise it will not be something that you regret. Jeff, I really, really appreciate you coming on the show today. And uh, seriously, I had a really, really great time chatting with you. My pleasure. And let me add, it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and wherever fine books are sold. Wherever you buy your books, go buy this one. <laughs> perfect, perfect way <laughs> to end it. Yep. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Well, that's it for today's show. If you want more advanced networking strategies, as well as an instant network upgrade, then consider partnering with my BYN Inner Circle 
Mastermind. There are already dozens of high-quality entrepreneurs in the group. There's dozens of video lessons on networking. There's monthly calls. There's accountability crews and more, all for the low investment of just 99 bucks a month. So head over to byninnercircle.com to jump in. That's byninnercircle.com. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. We'll see you next time. Remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.